I wasn't so recording. much easier. I wasn't recording. Like so, for the podcast, I record and I do a little funny bit for the intro, and that would have been perfect. <laughs> I know, wasn't it? Wasn't it all just so much easier? Start recording, when, Dan. I have. Yeah. It was just all so much easier when you know you suspected your prime minister and his communications director of being war criminals. Yeah. <laughs> Just easier back then, wasn't it? No <laughs> pandemics, just yeah. just possible genocide maniacs. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Too Much Time on Our Hands podcast. If you're joining us in YouTube land. Hello, streamers. How are you? Everyone in the room, give a wave to all of our YouTube streamers. You might have noticed there's a few more faces than normal here right now, and that's because we are joined by some very qualified people. As you probably saw on the intro graphics or have seen all over our social media feeds, this week's podcast is the coronavirus podcast, which is why we have employed the services. Duncan, in a new guise, as Dr. Duncan, he is a PhD, his wife, Emma is also here. She has a PhD as well. She is Dr. Duncan's wife. <laughs> Dr. B. I'm Dr. And Bailey. Dr. B, which I really like. So we've got Dr. Dunk, we've got Dr. B, and we've also got, I'm pointing down because he's down below, but he's probably somewhere else, but we've got Matt with us as well, Matthew Russell, Dr. R, Dr. Russell. What, what, what's your sort of gangster name, Matthew? What are we going to go gangster. for? Oh, Dr. Matt, I think. Dr. Matt. Okay. So we've got Dr. Duncan. That's children's got... TV so far. <laughs> yeah. Come and have Dr. a chat with Dr. Matt. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so we've got Dr. Dunk, we've got Dr. B, and we've got Dr. Matt. We've also got the uh, the other members of the Awesome Force, and we've got Russ. Hello, Russ. Hello. We've got Dan. Hello, Dan. I'm, I'm going to get it in now before I know this is going to be an opinion-based thing. I'm against it. <laughs> Bold. Oh. It's a yeah. bold take. Let's, let's see how that goes down with the audience. Yeah, see, see, what let's see how it works out. Yeah. Uh, Straight. Have I'm, we lost? Have we lost I'm, any streamers? I'm being a little overqualified, uh, over sort of, you know, <laughs> achieved here. I would like it pointed out that I've got one third of a degree in geography and a gold touring certificate. Absolutely, and those are the those are the most important things that you mm. have. So that's great. Um, so, yeah, with no further ado, look, I'm going to hand it over to Duncan. These people are here to talk to us about their take on uh, the current coronavirus outbreak. So I'm going to hand over to Duncan, whose idea this all was. Dr. Who's D. This all was? Actually, I thought it was Matt's yeah, idea. This is, this is Matt's, Matt's baby. I'm going to hand over to Duncan because this was Matt's idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Right, yeah. So, Duncan, how do we fix this thing? Yeah. Um, Come on, quick. Well... Quick. Quick elevator pitch. 30 <laughs> seconds. How do we fix it? Come on. Can I say yes uh, or no answer? How do we, how do we cure line. coronavirus? Gaffer tape and toothpaste. Sweet. There you go. You heard it here first on the Too Much Time on the Hands right. podcast. That's social, yeah. Done. Better for you than in ble- injecting bleach. <laughs> I want to find out about that later. <laughs> okay. <coughs> so that's obviously one of the symptoms. We've got to get um, Duncan a laptop stand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> obviously, this is such. Oh, a and you think this start. is bad? You should see how it right. goes when he's talking about something sexy. <laughs> All right, come on, guys, the wheels. Let's keep the wheels on, Duncan. Yeah, right. So it turns out we know some very clever people. Mm. I'm married to one of them, though. The fact that she married me doesn't necessarily mean that she's very clever. Um, but, but despite appearances and sounds and everything, you are also one of those very clever people. Mm. Well, apparently so, but. Um, 
after this, we will doubt that. Um, yeah, so it turns out Dan knows quite a lot of clever people. <laughs> and he also gets two hellish rebukes this uh, session, so yeah, I'm I'm going to be the voice of the everyman, I think, in this this i've got some questions that i think there's a lot of people uh need to know the answer to and um, dan's got a lot how do you spell coronavirus i've got some i've got some very important questions that need answers i've got one very important carry on sorry um so now this is a story all about how (laughs) our lives were turned upside down and I'd like to take this hour or so, the new, to tell you about the disease called SARS-CoV-2. Yeah. Because in the beginning, it was called SARS-CoV-2. It wasn't COVID-19 until late February. Um, so there were various ways I thought we could, <laughs> could do this. Um, I kind of thought we could do it as a choose-your-own-adventure. Um, and I started writing it as such, but then it became really complicated. However, um I do think there is a, you know, we've been in this whole situation since January. It is a very 2020 thing. Um, and, you know, there's there's been a lot of information coming out. A lot of things happened over a long period of time. And I thought we would try and sort of condense some of it as a bit of a summary. Um, so... We are going to give our takes. It is going to be a matter of opinion, uh, though, you know, we will be quoting some research um, or like our own experiences. Um, it, you know, don't take it as like we're one of stress. We're not experts, but we do sort of know how to interpret some of this stuff or at least the, some of the methods used and kind of what everything is meant to represent. So, you know, don't don't worry are... too much about the disclaimer. If anyone's taking their health advice from the health <laughs> podcast, then you're kind of, they're to not be going to be contributing I... to the gene pool much longer anyway. So I wouldn't exactly. worry about that. <laughs> I, I, think, I think what would be really useful, actually, just to start this, well, you, you said it was a matter of opinion. Genuinely, I don't know what your PhDs are in. So even when we were in the green room, because we have a green room, um, we were talking about all this, you know, what we were going to talk about, but we didn't actually touch on your PhD. So if we could just do a quick kind of 30 second PhD explanation just to kind of set the scene, would that that'd be really helpful for me? Well, I will therefore introduce my wife, Dr. B. My wife. You're my wife now. A bit awkward because on the stream, I'm literally in between you two. Ooh, so I'll try not crap. to. Oh, damn it. She As always. You. As always. Um, so my background is I have a PhD in clinical neuroscience. Um, basically, it just means I have a PhD in stuff to do with stroke um, and the basic science behind different types of stroke. Um, I also have a bit of background in cardiovascular disease, bioengineering and neuroscience in general so that's where i'm coming from i teach anatomy as well so i can give you an anatomical kind of overview i can give you a little bit of clinical stuff and yeah i can't do any of the biochemistry i will leave that to dr russell that's a good good next segue She's better at this than we are. <laughs> Very well done. Emma, there's there's a slot. already jumped to that conclusion. Yeah. There's a slot opening up. <laughs> so I spend most of my time playing with machines for 
which which weigh molecules. Um, and I use that machine to work out how the machinery inside the smallest bit of, of living um, organism, which is the, the cell, how that is changing when you change the conditions you put that cell in. Um, so that's what I do, which is quite different from viruses, but uh, people who work on, on that kind of thing are often the people that I'm collaborating with or who my colleagues are collaborating with. So um, mm. a lot of chat about that kind of thing through them. Um, and I've been taking an interest, obviously, in this thing that's happened to us over the last six months. So um, I'm happy to chat about my thoughts about it. Yeah, it must be very weird watching what is effectively a global experiment sort of unfold in real time, but with no control or safety or anything that you would ideally like in place. No, and it's also knowing about the um, the uncertainties around early research. So you can see the research coming out, but you, because we, we work in it and we talk with people who, who work in research all the time, and we know that when you do an experiment, first time it doesn't even do what you thought, you know, you don't even follow the instructions right, and then later you have another go and it doesn't, the data doesn't make any sense, and you have another go. And we know that's how it works, and yet you've got this emergency where you need to get information really fast. So we know there are people out there like us working really hard to get the information and getting it out into the papers or into the into the radio or the television or whatever to, to let people know what's going on. But it, you know, you know how can how um not how little trust you should have in them, but just the process is so 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 tricky that that you have. Yeah, to just just to kind of interject there as well. Like you don't just put. Your scientific results out and that's it like they go through something called peer review which means that usually they go through you know other scientists to sort of pick at it and go have they done this right mm -hmm. and also some of them you have to actually prove you can repeat the experiment you did as well before you can publish it so it's almost like you have to do it twice but a different lab repeats your experiment to see whether or not they can get the same result as well so it wasn't just something weird about the conditions it was in or something you didn't actually take yeah. into account yeah so it's really not as simple maybe as people think it is just to put scientific data out there yeah no, there's a lot I've, of sort of I've, um i've always when, thought it's quite easy you say you know <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah i mean this, this isn't the sort of thing where captain kirk can just yell at you you've only got six hours to create a vaccine <laughs> yeah and deploy it to seven billion people it's probably a bit more tricky than that but oh, I, love, that, I love i love that episode there does seem to have been a lot of um it's sort of taking people aback just how how long it's going to take mm. and even if it's going to be possible to create any sort of effective vaccine or cure for this and well, i think yeah, when when that was being discussed it was at a point when people needed some good news and it was not good news mm. um, well maybe that's so apparently russia there is... sorted it out well yeah of course because that's I think that, that was pretty much the response of the whole scientific community everywhere, wasn't it? Kind of a. Mm. <laughs> it was probably like, yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, but though you, like both Matt and well, I was talking to Emma earlier um, about it, that this is been an unprecedented time for kind of scientific collaboration because the WHO, the World Health Organization, not the band, uh, because we know what kind of research Pete Townsend <laughs> does. Okay, we were talking earlier about things we we definitely oh, that's up there. He was I... writing a book, Duncan. Okay, <laughs> said research. Do you know what? I just I I had I had an innocent Roger Daltrey joke going through my head there, and you had to go and just. 
I just said research. Just because just, you've got a Tumblr account doesn't mean anything, okay? Incidentally, <laughs> if, someone's, if someone's got their mobile phone uh, near the microphone for the sake of the, the streamers... Is it me? God, man, think of the when streamers. Somebody think it's, it's normally Dan. It's me, yeah. Is, it, is that better? Uh, it uh, yeah. stopped. Hang on. Yes, yes. Cool, yes, sorry. I, I was, uh, it was quite far away, but... The, so the Who uh, set up this trial called the Solidarity solidarity trial and it is bringing like researchers from across the world and especially universities together and the idea is that they all share data um they speak streamline like the clinical trials uh, all the tests that need to go um i i think I mean, I haven't even said what my PhD is in, but that doesn't matter because uh, we're talking about like clinical trials. And I don't think anyone really understands why uh, some drugs were being tested first, not bleach, because that would not work. I have it it's on pretty really... good authority that it does, though. <sighs> it kills everything. I mean, he's the president of the United, United States. States. Oh, to be yeah. fair to him, he, has he was a completely general. accurate in saying that it would destroy the virus. It does, but it would also destroy you. So, like, well, you know, if you're going to get specific and pedantic I, about, I it. think that's a that's a small price to pay to mm. wipe this virus I, out, right? I have my I first mean, question. Same person. If you turn he, somebody inside out to expose yeah. their insides to light, then they're not going to be too bad. Yeah, yeah. How can we do either. that? That's what exactly. I want to know. What, I mean, turn what? someone inside out? I'm waiting, yeah. Well, yeah. I thought, you need the, uh, the from the so with Trump, I thought one of the, the things was actually, that was almost how you start thinking about a scientific problem, is you say, oh, well, there's this thing, that might work. How could we get, how could we get that bit of that thing <laughs> into that thing so it does its job there? You, you'd start with that, and then... Yeah, but maybe one or two just, more steps before telling everyone to start doing it. I love, I love the fact that, that Donald Trump starts most sentences, you know, if you can always imagine him like in the Oval Office kind of saying, hypothetically, yeah. if we, you know, did this, would that work? And I imagine it's kind of like, hypothetically, if we just let Russia off everything that they have actually done, like, I mean, just hypothetically... <laughs> if we injected bleach into people's veins, just hypothetically, like what's the worst that would happen? And then let so zero-based budget up from there. So, so I don't know why I'm defending, but the, so there is a drug actually, that I'm sure there's a technique that's been developed for skin cancer, where mm. what you, the idea is you inject a drug into somebody's body mm. and then, that is harmless in the form in which you inject into the body, and then you shine a laser onto the skin cancer, the, the area of skin cancer, that's light. Laser laser so you you are pumping light in someone's body it's just the reason why you choose skin cancer not the lungs is because it's close to the surface you point the laser at that and it happens that the laser turns the breaks the drug that's harmless in the rest of your body into a dangerous you know a deadly toxin but just where you want to kill some tissue mm. so, so, you, so that's a bit like bleach it would kill anything. that's that's <laughs> clearly what he was on about then isn't it well, it's, it's a good <laughs> illustration of the idea of you know a little knowledge being a dangerous thing yeah. if you, so, together the right I, way and you've got uh, you've got something useful i thought this might be quite a good time therefore to actually go through what the process of a clinical trial various stages of a clinical trial and why it will take a long time also why maybe they started looking at pre-existing drugs not just bleach, not bleach okay oh so i'm going to hand over to emma because emma knows that i'm going to point that way because she's over there to me but she might be that way on the screen okay. why do you all keep trying to do this you don't know where each other are <laughs> I do she's over there to shut that sentence. 
doesn't know where I am. But I'm in the middle. You can't point to her without going like, okay, you you point your arm. And what I'll have to do is like bring my, mine in across. Like, that way, that you've got way. a weird long one. Anyway. There's uh, three people on this call with PhDs and this is the, the crazy shit that we're, yeah. we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Well done, guys. This works, so, Dan. Dan, this is why it takes so long to get a vaccine out. Ah. <laughs> so clin- clinical trials course. specifically for yeah. drugs for, for human use obviously yeah. are a fairly convoluted process. So yes. kind of top line, what are the steps that in a non-apocalyptic scenario you'd go through to get something from, you know, a computer model to a drug that is able to be prescribed? Well... Let's put it in terms of a vaccine first, because a drug is different from a vaccine, right? Okay, sure it is. Kind of mechanism. <laughs> um, but a vaccine, I suppose like any clinical trial involving human subjects, um, you're looking at a timeline of about three to four years to, to finish most of that clinical trial. Now, the majority of the first like year or two is actually a lot of ethics applications and going through regulatory bodies. It takes ages to usually push paperwork through these things, like years. Mm. You can come up with the idea and then you sit around waiting for at least a year, two years. And this Even is where you get told that you're not allowed to like take people's arms off and swap yeah. them around or deprive people of light for six yeah. months. Yeah. Someone has to check what you're doing is actually ethically, you know, moral. Um, so that's the first bit. And then they saved a lot of time by waiving quite a lot of that, haven't they? That seems to be yeah, they have. Yeah, it's really good paperwork if you decide you want. So for this one, so for this one, basically all of that has gone out the window because they're like, yeah, this is serious. This has to happen now. <laughs> Whereas most people's like, oh, I think this might work. Drug. Mm. Yeah, and that's, that's sure that won't lead to any problems mm. ten years down the line. Yeah. Um, so anyway, for a vaccine. What they do is once the vaccine has actually been created, obviously that's the first bit. Matt can probably tell you more about the timeline for that than me, but that's, I mean, usually that takes, I don't even know, because I mean, it depends on the starting point, I suppose. With this, they might have had some kind of starting point because they've had... Well, I don't know about all of them, but all the strategies that are being proposed, but the um, the Oxford group have started with their, their work on on the similar virus that broke out in the Middle East a couple of years ago that was called mers MERS-CoV, which is closely related. So fingers crossed they'd got, they they, they just swapped some bits out, didn't yeah. they? I think. Um, so that will speed up the initial process. If you've got something you can work with that was similar in the first place, obviously that's going to help. Um, once they've created this this vaccine, what happens is that small groups of people, usually healthy people, will receive the vaccine just to make sure that it doesn't immediately kill anyone when you inject them with it. Always good to know. Um, usually with vaccines, it doesn't happen, but, you know, they have to do that. Um, so that's, that's what we call a phase one clinical trial. Now, in phase two, that study is extended to include people who are more representative of the target population for the vaccine. So in this case, you're probably looking at giving it to like over 50s, you know, at least to kind of just to make sure that they're okay, because over 50s have more what we call comorbidities, i.e. they've got underlying conditions. So it's just to make sure that vaccine is safe in those people. And then phase three 
for, for a vaccine is where the vaccine is given to like thousands and thousands of people. And that's to test how like efficient the vaccine is. So it'll be developed at a certain dose. But you remember probably from your childhood that some vaccines you need to receive them twice. Mm. Some vaccines you only need once. Like they have to refine all of that kind of stuff as well. Now, because this is a virus, it might end up actually being like something like the flu jab where they have to tweak it every year as well. <laughs> Do you mean it could, there's all kinds of things. So they enter this phase three clinical trial. They're testing it for efficacy and safety. In a phase so why, why does the flu jab have to get tweaked? Is that because the flu virus is changing yeah. year on year? Yeah, the flu virus, again, I don't know whether Matt wants to come in on this, but yeah, the, the flu virus kind of mutates yeah, slightly every year. Is- as it, um, undesigned, but the flu virus's strategy is to change all the time to try and get, or rather the viruses that survive are those viruses that have mutated and are not recognized by the immune system that's been sort of primed to detect in, uh, flu by a previous infection. So coronaviruses in general, I believe, um, they have a much longer genome and a, it's much more risky for them to suffer a mutation um, because that can mean that it's a non-functioning virus. So most mutations of coronaviruses actually result in um, the, that, that new mutant not spreading. Um, okay, so, but, so the more complex it is, the riskier a mutation is. Uh, yes, and actually, so COVID also has... so. Um, lots of organisms have a little mechanism inside them for checking whether the copying is correct and, and chopping out mistakes. Uh, and, and COVID actually, presumably because it needs it, um, has one of those. So it has its own inbuilt mechanism to reduce the rate at which it mutates, which is handy for us because you might hope that it will be more stable, this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, in the wild, clearly it is mutating. They're finding different strains with slightly different properties. So that's not... That's not necessarily foolproof. And sorry, um, just to interject here, but are they? Are, do they exhibit the same sort of? It's risky to mutate um, attribute. Um, These I other strains. Um, I don't know that. There is a thought that respiratory viruses become less tend to become less lethal over time because it's in their interest to do that. So um, there was quite a cool study well maybe not cool right interesting one that so we know that in 2003 there was uh, the original SARS which gets called SARS-CoV-1 or as I like to call it COVID origins um, if it was a film you know it would be after we'd be mm-hmm. talking about it after COVID-19 the prequel uh, the prequels no, okay. better that still better than Prometheus um, yeah See, we don't See, want to get I into this. Up. I probably, I probably watched Prometheus again. I like Prometheus. Yeah. Not, yeah, All right. I do this again. Alien Covenant. Anyway. Yeah, that's true. I was trying to keep it like more <laughs> culturally relevant. Anyway, and uh, but what they found was that this, so COVID nineteen is more closely related to Batcov or Bat COVID, so the COVID by coronavirus from bats. So is this technically Batman Cov? Mm-hmm. Well, man bat cov, mm. probably man bat cov. Yeah, I had a question, but you completely drilled it from my brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, when it jumps, so obviously jumping from an animal to humans means that it 
obviously does still uh, mutate at, whilst it's when it's in the new host. So this was referred to as the species barrier. Yeah. Anything that jumps from uh, animal to human is known as a, a zoonosis and quite a few diseases. So my PhD, though it technically was in zoology, was actually in parasitology. So I studied, though it was parasites of fish. Amazingly, it does mean you have to sort of cover infectious diseases generally. And you become one of those weird people who has a weird fascination for um dangerous infectious diseases yeah but, you become know, I, that sure <laughs> yeah just become that you know it um so zoonoses are zoonosis zoonoses are some of the like most dangerous diseases in in the world like uh, lyme disease everyone's heard, probably heard of lyme's disease you get it from ticks mm-hmm. yeah, it, from ticks deer, deer uh, ticks yeah uh, so they're more dangerous because you've got so many more infection vectors if there's if it could be coming at you from all you're, sorts of different animals. Often it's just you're the not target host. And for some reason, if it takes hold, the, it can just, you just don't have any kind of response because it doesn't really suit the illness if you if the host dies too quickly because it means it can't pass it on. You know, there's no cognitive action in the disease. It's just, it's the way this, it, it works. It's like if you, if you can't transmit, then you don't reproduce and therefore you die out so you know you don't want that kind of breaking in that and so this is you know there must have been a some mutation from it jumping from the bat not the pangolin as previously reported but more similar from the bat and then it's just taken hold in the in the in the human and uh that's where we are Mm -hmm. i suppose anyway Hmm. clinical trials so over time the two when you've got the virus in a in a in its normal host the two are sort of in, engaged in a in an arms war with each other the host trying to live longer once it's get it or survive with it completely and the um the virus trying to use it to reproduce itself and get into another host so that can be going on for you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands even millions of years and then once it jumps it's got a whole set of the virus has got a whole set of techniques for dealing with this one host and then it comes into a human and some of those techniques work better on us and some of them work less well. But we've the important thing is we've not had that relationship with that virus for that time. Um, right, so right. we have no immunity to it because we've not been exposed to it and, and, and so on. And, and because it's not just generally around. And then the things that it does even are not things that we're not when our bodies are necessarily sort of primed to deal with. So there's this moment of extreme danger where either the humans get much 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 sicker than normal or the virus fails completely which is what actually usually happens because we're all being exposed to these things all the time so most of the time when someone is infected with a virus either they don't even uh, from a from another animal they don't notice or they, they don't get sick or if they do get sick they still don't pass it on because the virus hasn't doesn't have the attributes to get from person to person but we got really eventually you get unlucky just because this is happening so frequently that mm. eventually one of the bullets hits a sweet spot. Can I ask a quick question here then? Trouble. So Duncan, Duncan said that we've been dealing with this since January. So I I am one of many people that I've spoken to over the last like six months or so who have said, oh bloody hell, you know, like in February I, I got this chest infection and cold and headache and stuff like that. I was floored for a for a week. Like 
in terms of likelihood that people have suffered from COVID without knowing, you know, without any testing, like it's unlikely that I'm going to find out whether or not that was COVID-19 that I was suffering from, you know, because I was wiped out, like completely wiped out off the face of the earth. It felt awful. And then the, my missus got it. And then Vinny got the same thing. How many of us are, are walking around with immunity now? Do, I mean, do we know this? Is there, is there even any sort of possible way of projecting that at this point? I don't know exactly. So I can, I can tell you part of the problem. So, um, okay, so we can never know how many people had it unless we detected it. So when someone gets the virus immediately, um, and you, 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 know, you go to those test centres and you, you have a thing stuck up your nose and they, they take that uh, material away to test it, what they're looking for is the genetic sequence in the virus as it's produced inside you. Um, so that's whilst the infection's happening and the virus is getting into your cells and convert what a virus does, it turns your cells into machines for making more virus and then your cells break open and the virus comes out and then it floods out of you into the environment around you. And it's, you know, it, the point of that is then that the next host picks it up and gets ill. So once that's happening, you can get some of those bits of virus um, in your test tube and go and have a look and see if you can find the DNA for the, the virus in, in your test tube. And if it's there, then the person had the virus. And if it's not there, then they were sick with something else. But once you get better, the virus isn't being produced anymore and that technique doesn't work. So all you can do is look for the sort of echo in the immune system that it would try to defend itself against this virus. Mm. Um, and you can go and find those things, they're called antibodies. So that's what you hope would be the things that would prime your body to attack the virus if it saw it again. But my understanding is the tests designed to, to detect those, those things called antibodies don't work very well. So it's very hard to go into the population and test lots and lots of people and see whether they've had it or not. Um, so, so we don't know. Yeah. We also we don't know if, if you're not testing positive on these antibody tests, maybe you're not immune. So this is a problem. This relates to the vaccine as well. So we don't know if you actually have long-term immunity from being sick with it. And we don't know if a virus, sorry, if a vaccine will confer long-term immunity, whether or not the virus does. Just You've seen a lot of people, yeah, assuming that, people have been talking about getting like immunity certificates and things like that that will mean you can go out into the world and start acting like normal but that does seem like a bit if this is a few a flu-like virus nobody gets immune from flu so is yeah. that just wishful thinking there is so antibodies also like the effectiveness of a vaccine sorry unless um, you wanted to come in mm -hmm. um there is always the fact that the antibodies fade over time and the length of time an antibody stays in, you know, in your system varies, and but they do fade over time. And the ability to then produce them again or recognise the cause that then makes your body create those antibodies again also can change over um, over time, which is related yeah. to the the disease. So um, you might get ill, rotating. produce antibodies, get better, and then that sort of shuts down relatively quickly compared to some other diseases it, not it can don't have them hanging around yeah they don't necessarily stay in the body as uh as long i think with covid there is some indication they do fade relatively quickly i think but mm. um it's it's not really a clear uh 
a, a clear picture. So I've seen where um, you can buy for about 15 quid a, an online yeah. t- antibody test. And if it comes back negative, they will send you a little card that says, I'm immune to coronavirus. That, that would be on the, the bollocks side of the scale then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That falls me with horror. It's oh, also, I won't get so, it then. So it, it's interesting that how it plays oh. with how people might behave as well. So that's one of the interesting things about COVID, I think, is, is the way people respond to it. Mm. And one of the things that you could imagine happening with with a, with a immunity certificate is suddenly, if you go and get yourself COVID, then you get a certificate which sets you free. So you can imagine people wanting to go to COVID parties, particularly young people who we mm. know are less likely to get sick, who want to get the disease, then get the antibodies, then get the certificate. But if yeah. you did that, then you could have people dying from from their desire to get this virus. So you have to think very carefully about how you put together. Yeah, there's, there's been quite a lot of, of that sort of thing. Unfortunately, we don't have a tame behavioural scientist to hand, so we are going to have to wing yeah. this sort of uh, side of things. But I mean, there was, you know people in the government were talking about how they they were reluctant to mandate face masks because it would give people a false sense of confidence which even though back in, oh hang on I've got, I've got this somewhere um i think well back in mid february even mm. there's something like the yeah well, mid february we'll just go with that um they were talking about advising people on how to stay safe and uh, the guidance for uh, P- proper PPE and even just wearing mm. uh, face masks. It was it was like uh, maybe it was late uh, late February, but um, anyway. So the WHO were advising mm. kind of quite uh, quite early quite early on about yeah maybe wear face masks. I think it's the opposite though with face masks. I think the face masks remind you that this isn't normal. Like there that's, is that's exactly how I feel about yeah, it. Yeah, but there is something like actually socially out there. distancing yeah. in shops and stuff. It's so easy yeah. to forget, or like you just oh. you know you want to grab the thing. Somebody's there, you, you nip in with them. But if if you're wearing a mask, it does make you think a bit more. It, I, I can I can say that social distancing in shops is very difficult for some people. Mm. <laughs> um, some so more I than think others. There might have been a product early on that was a mask with if you can read this, you're too close written on it. That got mm. taken out for being sort of flippant or whatever but i think that's brilliant i, mm. I yeah. want i want everyone around me to be wearing that so i keep remembering to as a motorcycle rider i can confidently say that on the road people find it very difficult to stay further than a meter from the my back tire yeah. so if they if they if they are willing to be that close to me which might involve them in a road accident where if I'm, if my bike hits their mm. car from two a meter away not much is going to happen at mm. 30 miles an hour they're going to get a dent you hit my back tire for a meter away at 35 miles an hour, you're probably going to kill me. Mm. And I'm probably going to go under that, under your car. And so is my bike. Like, you know, if that's the behavior that you see on the roads, when someone walks into a shop, which just feels like an innocent place, it it never happens. I was, I mean, look, I was wearing a face mask in the range down in Apsley, Um, you know, with my trolley, I was buying storage boxes for the, you know, all this shit around me. And, um, there was a guy literally standing a foot from the back of my neck. I could almost, I could feel his breath through his mask on the back of my neck. And I turned around to about this way. And I said, you are too close to me. <laughs> like, and he just went, well, you're two meters from the guy in front. And I'm like, yeah, but you, I'm the guy in front of you. Step I can, back. Like, I can, I, it's, it's insane. I can say from personal experience that uh, going into a shop, that people do tend to ignore 
the bright yellow lines or, or bright yellow tape that's been put on a lot of the shop floors signage everywhere saying six day two meters apart um, and um, I've seen people go up to people in shops and with their masks up and to talk they've gone pulled the mask down and go, excuse me can you tell me where so-and-so is it's like we can hear you the, the person can hear you through the mask like you don't need to you don't need to yeah. pull the mask down um it's it's and you see like i feel bad for shop assistants um that have people just come up to you like here and just like ask questions that some of them not wearing masks um uh, some of them they're exempt from wearing masks but even if you're exempt from wearing masks i get the feeling you should probably be practicing the social distancing side of things anyway um we I've, I've some shops have screens and i've seen people talk round the screens because they don't like talking through, through the little this. hole yeah mm. right they don't like talking so i was in a shop the other day and they, they had those screens and they put the screens <laughs> in front of the till mm-hmm. as in the the unit yeah and the shop assistant was was not behind it mm. it's like they were protecting the physical till from coronavirus yeah, but so not the it's, people it's, yeah um I, I don't understand the psychology behind that no <laughs> <laughs> no, so but I've, yeah, I've, I've seen idiocy. some seen some crazy stuff. I saw recently uh, two people in a shop walking round. One of them had a face mask around their chin, um, and the other one had no face mask at all, uh, just browsing through stock, picking things up uh, whilst eating a giant bag of crisps. I see. It's it's horrible. <laughs> Back on track, sorry. Yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say, I know we don't want to get sort of too far down this, but I think the fundamental problem is that every time anyone expresses the fact that this virus has the symptoms of a flu, hmm. there are many of us who kind of go, well, I've had flu before and it was bloody awful, but I was okay afterwards. What I mean, the, the thing that confuses me almost at every turn is... Why are we allowed to go around calling this a flu, a flu-like virus if, if the only similarity it has is that it basically trans, is transmitted in the same kind of ways and presents with the same kind of symptoms, but actually is a much more lethal version of it? Why are we calling it flu-like? Why aren't we actually, mm. you know, literally calling it, you know, almost this is, you know, this is the most significant viral outbreak since the Black Death, you know, in terms of the impact it could have on the world. Well, um, I'm being over dramatic about it. I mean, to bring you, the message home. You're not being over dramatic. I mean, for us and Northern Europe, it is certainly the worst out, uh, pandemic since 1918. Sorry, Duncan, Spanish I think you'll find that was 1917. Um, this my source told me that again. He's the president <laughs> of the United States. I think he was knows this, a thing or two about this. Was, was this <laughs> Spanish flu? Yeah. Which is actually should have been yeah. North America. Back when we were allowed yeah. to, to call illnesses racist names. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. yeah. Uh, in fact, it wasn't well, even what's Spanish. What's the proper name? It, well, it there was wasn't really H1 a proper name. But it, it, was, it was called basically whatever country you don't like, flu, depending mm. on where you are. <laughs> it we called belief- it Spanish flu. They didn't call that. It called it that in Spain. It was apparently, they thought it came from Spain, but it didn't. It actually came from Kansas. A pig farm in Kansas, H1N1, the original H1N1, which caused the the influenza. Um, Yeah, I think they call it flu-like because the symptoms are a temperature, a fever, a persistent cough, which, you know, a lot of flus do. Um, And it's very funny. Uh, The persistent cough um, is the 
actually interesting you also get the loss of sense of taste and smell in a lot of cases and it's the the sniffle and the the sneezing so i think it's because aspects of the symptoms are similar to flu but there is nothing else really similar to it so this, this is not this is not a flu strain no, at all flu it's, it's just influenza like symptoms which a lot of illnesses do because making people cough and sneeze and splutter is a good way of getting yourself into another host yeah influenza is a totally different kettle of virus so so are we free of original covid no um like we're probably not that far off so the beginning of the story technically happens in we know it happens in china now like a lot of i remember when i was at uni doing okay it was marine biology but i did like love my infectious diseases and one of the things that they kind of put home was they were thinking that there would be another they were expecting another pandemic of some kind and you know there would be that animal animal jump and you know friends in this other whatsapp group that we started about following this apocalypse did also say they were speaking to uh, infectious disease specialists and they kind of expected something to happen you know generally the thought was it was going to either arise in africa or it was going to arise in the far east specifically china where there's a lot of human animal contact um and that that is exactly what uh what happened so it was traced back to a fresh meat market seafood and fresh meat market in uh, wuhan in the hubei uh, province and it was originally picked up by um the hu china office on the 31st of december and by i think the 13th no by the 12th of january they had actually uh, identified that this was a new strain of coronavirus but it was actually a doctor that flat who had worked on the original SARS the original COVID COVID origins um back in 2003 who realized that the symptoms of this cough of the the pneumonia because it was actually diagnosed more as pneumonia um it looked like similar symptoms as they saw in 2003 and that is when it kind of started looking more at what what this virus was using some of the genetic techniques that uh, Matt's kind of uh, alluded to. Um, does this relate to the virus? Yeah, it re- relates to influenza. But the, the kind of differences, there are lots of differences because, you know, flu affects mainly, uh, affects the vulnerable, vulnerable, but it affects young people as much, if not more, than people our age. But what we see with SARS, well, with COVID-19, is that it actually, there is... Uh, quite a distinct age gradient in fact we saw it with SARS but SARS was didn't transmit as well and so though it was actually higher death rate it because it didn't transmit it you could control it with lockdown measures the same with uh, MERS-CoV the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome uh, again it's really deadly but it doesn't transmit very well. So it kind of, it can be controlled by these lockdowns, by social distancing. It, you can actually eradicate it through these uh, control measures. COVID-19, not so much. There are, you know, we, we can go into, if you want, we can go into why, you know, like people like, we've all got family members who've had to shield. Hmm. 
because they are vulnerable, because they've got respiratory issue, pre-existing, as Emma called them, comorbid comorbidities, but they're existing respiratory issues or like heart disease. And there's the age relatedness and you know, we, we can go into that if you if you if you want, if people are interested, why some people are more susceptible or at risk. Maybe susceptibility isn't the right term because it turns out everyone's nearly equally susceptible, but it's more in terms of being vulnerable to it. Yeah, like, so what's, if you want. Like what hmm. what is the difference between this and the other SARS outbreaks that we've had or coronavirus outbreaks that we have? What what makes this one so different? Is it that increased infection rate that is so much more likely to jump from host to host. Isn't that I'm looking back at Duncan because that's that's transmission. I mean my, so, it's just it's more so my um so again so this is I this is not my area of expertise but this is my sort of it seems our internet about, is dodgy. Com compared to the rest of us you are all experts on everything so yes. don't worry about so, it. Yes. So you've got I I think I think it's interesting to think about a sort of sweet spot for a, a disease like this where if it's really lethal, then people die really fast and they don't give it to many people. So is, is that the sort of bracket that something like Ebola would fit into? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah, so Ebola's really kills people really fast. It's mm. got a very But it but it burns uh, out. It's not gonna sweep yeah, around the planet. MERS, which was also a coronavirus, that also was um, had a had a much higher um, mortality rate. So that was um, th that seemed to burn itself out. Um, Faster. And then well, one of the key things there. actually is that what's Trigger. uh sorry I, I think we've got slight internet issues. Oh, sorry, sorry. We can we can hear you, Duncan. We can hear you. Uh, um I didn't mean, uh right. So what it turns out is like the original COVID um and MERSCOV, they and even influenza to some extent, they all sit in the term is the lower respiratory tract hmm. uh, and where COVID-19 really excels is that it has a high viral load so there's lots of virus in the upper respiratory tract which turns out to be now I'm going to look at Emma say and she'll hopefully nod and go yes upper respiratory tract is your nose and so it reproduces pretty heavily in I've like the nose. upper throat You've got a nose, Dan. You yeah. have. I mean, I, I could have guessed that of the respiratory bits yeah. called upper, your nose yeah. would probably be one of them. Everything like above your windpipe, basically. Mm -hmm. but hang on, but, but then, that is actually quite a complex set of apparatus, isn't it? Yeah. But then your ear, your, you know, your ear, your nose and your throat are all connected as well. So can you, I mean, do, do you also, can you also get ear infections? Is your well? ear higher than your nose? Yes. Yeah, well... The, the, the issue there, there's a couple of issues there. The anatomical issue there is that basically you only really get movement from through a tiny, tiny, tiny little tube between your ear and your nose. And that tube and your ear, as far as I know, do not express the receptors that COVID binds to. So you cannot get it through the ear. So you, in theory, you cannot get COVID through your ear. No. But you, can get it through, you can get it through your eyeball. Not that I am aware of. I definitely heard that sometime. I'd Did heard you? that as well. Is that Donald Trump, Ross? I don't know. This is the, the point <laughs> Not now where my sources say. I, <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Um, I didn't heard that one. Hmm. Um, 
I mean, I sincerely hope that's not true because it's disgusting. So yeah. it's a quick question. That means I can carry on licking Russ's ears and eyes. Cool. Yes, I've, I've, got, I've got. I've got. I've got. I've got. Not his nose. Important. No, don't, no. don't lick his nose. Just the outside. Um, I mean, preferably don't lick his face in general, Dan. Um, been through this. He, he has to have something. You know. And if you've got a face mask on, that's going to be harder anyway. Well, yeah. Um, we get like a, a, a double face mask that covers both of our faces so we can just... Like a couple this has got, this got gross. I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to shut up. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say this has got to be one of the weirdest bubbles that we've got, right? I mean... <laughs> I'm sorry. So we've probably got about um, probably good about sort of like 10, 10 or 15 minutes left before uh, everyone falls into catatonia. So one, one thing I would like to ask the, the scientists okay. in the room is, what do you think the single biggest governmental fuck-up from the UK <laughs> government has been? <laughs> Feel free not to disparage anybodies that you're hoping for funding from anytime soon. Um, they, they didn't lock down quick enough. Mm. Oh, and when they did, it was a... Well, I mean, if you'd fancy not going to the pub, that'd be great. It wasn't very yeah. decisive, was it? Basically, everyone everyone within a university setting was going, why are we still at work? Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I remember that last week at work. Mm. Everyone was basically saying, I don't think we should be here. A lot of yeah. people weren't there. Um, people, I, it was the sort of, I, I don't really want to be here, but I don't, I, I don't mm. feel like I could just unilaterally decide that I'm not going to be. It must be a hard decision to make, though, to absolutely shut down your economy. Mm. Like almost mm. all the time. Do you remember when we used to talk about how important it was to have growth and have one or two percent? And now we've we've managed to drop twenty five or thirty or percent or whatever it is in the last couple of months. So mm. that actually uh, be the that, that, is, that is the result now, though, of a self imposed recession. People are talking about this recession in quite dark terms, but actually, it's absolutely the right thing to do. Mm. Right oh yeah, yeah, but, manage our way but out. being the person to decide to mm. to do that oh, yeah, I mean, for the country, I'm not saying it was an easy decision, no. but and it's like the, it, it feels like they like... didn't actually take the decision. Mm. They sort of made a lot of mutterings about locking down mm. and seeing what other countries are doing, and then they sort of said, "Oh, you probably shouldn't go out on the lash." And then the prime minister's father was in the pub that evening, and, and then and then people took the decision to stay at home themselves and yeah. when enough of them were doing that then boris yeah. went on telly saying you must stay at home and then he said uh, we'll give it a few days and then we're closing the pubs so that friday i seem to remember everyone went to the pub which is like yeah. the dumbest thing i think thing that was, in the, that, just, I think that yeah. was inevitable it's like when they banned drinking on the tube oh it's just yeah well everyone just got hammered on the tube yeah. i gotta say this this rep this whole thing represented a, a, a massive massive shift for me mm. um i look you know i know personal stuff is you know is it's just is well, i don't know it seems a bit self-involved ironically but like i mean i for me sitting there in front of that television and watching mm. boris do his what will probably go down in infamy now stay at home you know protect the nhs don't, don't drive leave, to durham don't drive don't drive to durham you know mm. unless you're, unless you need your eyes tested, eyes tested. Yeah. yeah but you know i mean take I, that for question me, off for me, you know, when you watch films uh, like, you know, The King's Speech and stuff, and you see people crowded around the wireless listening to, um, you know, King, mm. uh, The King's Speech, you know, that we are now at war. Um, it felt it felt almost like that kind of once in a generation moment where everyone was watching telly that night. I everyone. It, I, I think that's is. what he wanted. And I had to turn to my to my son with mm. my wife, who, who literally started school in the mm. September, has had the weirdest first year of school and say mm. to him, 
you were going to go back and see your friends. Now we don't know how long, but mm. you're you're staying at home with us now, and we're all we're all going to stay here, and we can't go out. And trying to explain that to a five year old who is an only child, so loves going to school and mixing with other children. You're not going to see anyone for a while, and we can't go and see grandma and granddad, and you know all that yeah, sort of stuff. Tough. It's it's incredibly strange. Mm. And then even in this this whole situation. I think I've mentioned it on the pod before. My grandmother died uh, in hospital right. towards the beginning of April. Of course, we weren't allowed to go to the funeral, still haven't had a funeral. Um, you know, my mum and dad went to a crematorium where she was, you know, uh, cremated and stuff like that. Mm. So, you know, I mean, look, it's a, it's a small story from lockdown, but it has, I think, changed and impacted lives in ways that, I don't know, very few things in our, in our country's present uh, will be able to kind of you know put yeah. up against that, this mm. kind of magnitude. It's, it's we've we've never had anything like this. Not no, you know the the last thing of this scale was probably the Second World War in terms of its effect on every single person in the country. And yeah, in it always the happens world. somewhere else to someone else on the news, doesn't it? It doesn't yeah. happen yeah. Like, mm. here. Yeah. If, if you will, the the. The scale of the incom, yeah, the incompetence as it's, you know, there's a great article that, and I suppose you, he's been thrown under the bus quite a lot, but it was really interesting what Neil Ferguson, Professor Ferguson, who was the one that came up, gets called Professor Lockdown. He he was the one he led the imperial study that modelled the what would happen if you don't do anything. Like, oh, so this is what's widely credited with changing their minds. Yeah, mm. or partly uh, changing minds. Now, like Matt and I can talk about models, but generally they they don't. People don't really necessarily understand that models are are just that. They're like a scale model. They're not exactly reality. They just represent reality. So, like a model, a little model tank represents a tank it is not a tank but it does represent yeah. it so you can sort of get an idea what a tank is hmm. and what it might do but and a, a mathematical model which is what epidemiologists work with they model disease and if you like it's the population of a disease and this is what this model was talking about with the information they had at hand now obviously the various factors influence the spread and we're understanding what influences the spread and who's the most susceptible and what have you but it was this model which i think was published 13th uh march or something like that 16th of march um obviously the information in that was presented to the government earlier and it was really interesting in this article about House, the advisory group actually gets the information to the prime minister and decision makers. But what he did say was they were probably the most informed, one of the most informed governments in the world, in Europe anyway. Because so, 24th of January, France reports three novel coronavirus cases, the first report in Europe. 27th of January, Germany reports its first confirmed COVID case. Mm. 30th January, this is really important, there are now 98 confirmed cases no deaths yet reported in 18 countries outside of china hmm. four countries eight, with eight cases had evidence of person-to-person -person transmission up to this point 30th of january it hadn't even been confirmed whether it was tra transmitting person to person now there is something called the international health response and there was this emergency committee 
and they do something they can issue something called um a declare a public health emergency of international concern which is basically calling a disease a pandemic since it had started in 2005 that only been this was the sixth time it had been used so that's 30th of jan throughout february the who were basically saying you know this is this is serious people prepare you've got you know i think on the 12th of february it was saying you know we've got time you've still got time um on the 11th of february it coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 got called COVID-19 and you know by the 12th of February there had already been three confirmed cases in the UK by the 15th of February there were nine confirmed cases and by the end of February there were 23 confirmed cases and you know by the what have we got uh interestingly by the 10th of March part of the government health minister and the dean doris test positive for covid so the numbers are increasing and it takes like until the 12th of march i can't believe this that the uk chief medical officer raises the risk to the uk mm. from covid from moderate to high incidentally at this point uh on the 11th of march because of the alarming level of inaction the who calls COVID officially declares COVID-19 a global pandemic. Mm. By this point, Ireland had already cancelled St. Patrick's Day. There were no large gatherings happening in France, yet rugby matches, Atletico Madrid and Cheltenham all happen in the UK. And you can still go see the stereophonics. And you can still go and see the stereophonics. Yeah. Um, well, no, this is ridiculous because um, at this point, Boris was doing pretty much nothing. And at the same time, Wales was underwater. That, that everyone always forgets about the flooding that was happening like in February mm-hmm. at the same time yeah. that he was doing Yorkshire. fuck all about mm-hmm. as well so he Sorry. missed the Cobra Cobra <laughs> yeah. meetings for the flooding but then yeah. goes up to see the flooding and this is all happening it's not, it's not he missed them he, he elected not to go to yeah. them exactly. and then he missed never five did. then he missed five of these emergency meetings regarding COVID and it takes until basically a panic mm. well, not a panic but just like a stark model Mm. of what's going to happen and this is the second one because Exeter University had already published one to actually go yeah we should be doing something and that's on the 23rd of March and if you really want to know a really interesting thing of how quickly this virus Mm. went around the world from Wuhan to Mexico in little over a month there's a really interesting genetic study that went saying a Mexican traveller to Italy uh, was diagnosed on 28th Mm. of Feb um, had got back to Mexico with it in picking up in Italy. The person who got it from in Italy had picked it up from Germany on the twenty mm. seventh of Jan because they worked for a company in Munich Was where that the an employee trip? there had contracted it from a Chinese colleague in Shanghai who had vi- recently had a visit from their parents from Wuhan. So it literally goes from Wuhan, Shanghai, Munich, Italy, Mexico in little over a month. I remember that you so you say that we did nothing till the 23rd of March. I remember I went away at the beginning of March. We just went to Swanage and like Swanage is tiny and every shop you went in is all everyone was talking about even then. And that was mm. the right at the beginning of March. You went in boots, I couldn't find, couldn't buy any soap because everyone was already buying soap at that point. So if if everyone is aware of all this, the government just massively cocked up, like reacted. They reacted rather; they were reactive rather than proactive. Yeah. 
I mean, okay, I will hold our hand up. We took the decision to travel down. Hmm. It was our son's birthday on the 12th of March. Yeah, but, but you're not doing anything wrong. No, but, you know, we did travel. We traveled down to St. Albans because my, my gran, hmm. she has a birthday with hmm. him. We don't know how long she's going to be around. Hmm. And it turns out, actually, it was really important that we go down because we're now not going to see our family until maybe December if we're lucky. So, you know, that's a long period of time. And we we seriously thought about it because we mm. knew what the numbers were down south. We knew that Scotland, though, had small numbers. It could easily probably spread over here. And we knew airports were choke points. Like, you mm. know, a little bit of knowledge does help. It can be a dangerous thing, but it can also help. You go, well, what is the actual risk? And as far as we could tell, we were probably... In our family, uh, three of us, I'm the most at risk, mm. and the other two are not. And but my parents obviously are as well. Mm. And we thought, well, we did it, and we were okay. But you know, it's that. Yeah, but it's it not. Was, it, it wasn't up to individuals to make that sort of no, decision. Sure. It shouldn't have been. No, no, there was no the guidance. That's leadership. the problem. But this was the, even before the even before like mm. lockdown. The flight we took back from mm. Luton on the 16th or whatever it mm. was on Monday was only a third full which which already tells you that people were actually beginning to lock down even before the mm. government told them to lock down so it was like people would have actually responded if they'd locked down earlier and a lot of flights were cancelled like there was no one flying yeah. to poland poland had already by then sort of locked down you know obviously spain had locked down as well by that point so it's it was just a delay. There was mixed messages coming out, hmm. and it was that lack of clarity. So, so I, I remember. There's, there's also this. Yeah. Sorry, there's this thing about there's a sort of difference between uh, your individual risk and what the whole population has to do to affect a change. So, it's, yeah. I mean, it's perfectly sensible to think as you're talking about well, hmm. well, we might carry it to our grandparents, or they might give it, you know, hmm. whatever. Um, that that's all. Or really sensible but the other thing is unless everybody prevents transmission from around the population then then we keep having cases and the cases mean that that affects our economy and, and everything else so you kind of need to be you need to wear a mask and maintain social distances even if you never get COVID-19 mm. yeah you don't have it to, because yeah. it's only by everybody obeying the rule that you you get the whole population starts to really dampen the the, the, the virus down I don't know whether to jump in here and just say, well, you know, if there is a vaccine that's ever produced, uh, what are we going to do about the anti-vaxxers? Because they're also going to ruin the uh, the party, yeah. potentially. There was a uh, survey, yeah. wasn't there, that said that 50% of people wouldn't take the, the vaccine. Yeah. I, I yeah. can't believe it's that high. I mean, I sincerely hope it's not mm. that high. But I well, that question was can't believe... It that... Yeah, it was definitely taken. And I'm mm. not sure I would even take that. But So I'm, I'm, I have faith in the scientific mm. method and in scientists to produce this stuff. And I, I, they said it was working well. I would I would have it. I would have it. My children have it. But no problem with vaccines. But I would want to think about it if it was... like I wouldn't just like... There's this one they produced in Russia. I'm not sticking that in my arm. Yeah, so I think you need to see that how that question was, was worded. <laughs> Yeah, and I thought it was definitely. I'm not sure. My my source it. says there's already a drug that that cures it. It's just a shame you can't get it through the post there at the, the moment. Other thing is, what about the you know what about the developing world and so on? Because they're going to need it too. So if if it's just for the developed world, but it's not being made available in the developing world, do you want do you want to take it or do you want to stand in sort of solidarity? What if there's a movement that says we're not taking this until hmm. we're sure that everyone's going to get it? Maybe you would say. 
actually, I want to wait till I, I want my government to ensure that we're getting it and we're contributing to everybody else getting it as well. So it's um, I think it's potentially more complicated mm. than just yeah. It seems to be there's been a rush of powerful governments trying to secure doses of product of, of vaccines that don't actually exist yet. Mm. Yeah, but secure it for themselves and it. The, the it, it won't work like that. If you you, if you can't just vaccinate your country unless you seal it off entirely from the rest mm. of the world. Well, it, it doesn't seal you from economic harm either, does it? I mean, if your no. if your markets are all um, are all in permanent lockdown, you're never going to sell anything. So you've got to make the whole world healthy. Or you mm. something that this has really highlighted is the ridiculous degree to which the entire world is interconnected on an economic level. You mm. you you can't just you know we just the UK are so dependent on international trade of goods and services that even if we did just make sure everyone in the UK is absolutely fine. Oh, but Russ, the economy I'm, won't recover. I'm going to the rest um, of the world is as well. Counteract your point though with mm-hmm. uh, Brexit means Brexit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Russ. Yeah. And if, yeah. everyone that was working in industries that have collapsed can just go and pick strawberries all year. Yeah. There you go. That's how it works. That'll be fine. Do you know what I miss though? Olympics. Were you saying that earlier? <laughs> no, no, not that. No, it yeah. was. It was um... I saw some limpets today. Oh, Olympics, <laughs> Olympics. Jess, Emily Sanday belting out a few tunes. Ah, yeah. beautiful. You will not oh. let that go, will you? <laughs> she did like three <laughs> fucking songs. Yeah, like, he's been all about this since theory. 2012. Like it was just weirdly yeah. just out, out of proportion from everyone, everyone else. Everyone enjoyed the Olympics opening ceremony. You yeah. were the only person sitting there going. Fucking Emily Sandy. Emily Sandy did three songs. <laughs> Paul fucking McCartney was there. And Emily Sandy's the one that does three songs. That's weird. I know. And, and they even let <laughs> Kenneth Branagh, lipless Kenneth Branagh, they even let him do a soliloquy at the beginning, didn't they? Yeah. Which was mental. But oh, I was going to say, the, yeah. thing I, the thing I miss most, like, is I'm, I was, it sounds, it sounds really weird to even sort of say it these days, but I was, I was always quite, tactile like mm. with my colleagues and my friends and and stuff like that you know hand on the shoulder and stuff like that you know we were we're all huggers at, at the office and things like that i miss that it's really very strange like mm. i don't I, I i find it really hard to adjust to that because you know it, it is weird isn't it it's the yeah, whole, whole sort you can't, of you can't really level be of a social source interaction of, you can't be a source of comfort in you know there, there are people i'm like someone like me like if, if one of my colleagues is having a stressful day I used to, I would walk up, you know, hand on the shoulder, you know, drink a cup of coffee or something like that, you know, whereas now you just kind of have to get into their line of sight and be kind of like... Tom's been spoken to a lot. You're right. Do you want to... <laughs> but, 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 but the point is, but the point is like, you can't even say I'm a tactile person without that reaction, without no. humour, and then people going, Barbie, you're not supposed to do that. And it's like, I know, but... You know, it was. It's like, how do you how do you comfort it's, people these days? There's something about that two meters as well, isn't it? Because there's obviously there's like people's personal space, which depending mm. on how well you know them, you, you go into or not. And then there's this like the space where you're in socially when you're talking to somebody mm. that says, you know, I'm interested in talking to you. And then there's that further distance, which is just like I don't trust you. Or yeah, one of us yeah, has two, an two meters is a very it's a very difficult mm. distance for any sort of like you can't have a conversation two meters away from somebody. You're, you're too can't. far away. You don't pick up on facial cues and responses. You have to raise your voice to an uncomfortable level. You can't walk and talk with somebody because a pavement isn't two meters wide or yeah. a path. It's, it's it's very difficult to to maintain. So wrong, isn't it? In my office, mm. we have we have I think you'll find soundproofed. It's it's almost like hermetic 
meeting rooms now. Right. It's just, it's bizarre. Like you walk into them and they are just dead spaces with, and all you can hear is the hum of ventilation for people take to it. have the, it's just, <laughs> it's, so bleak. it's so weird, man. It's, it, I don't know. It's the, yeah. the, the family atmosphere is, is literally gone in the office now. There is I take no it stormtroopers would be all right because do they have little they have little speakers? No, so we 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 do hear that their masks only filter out um, dust and smoke, not toxins. Really, is that a thing? Have you that's really, really thing that's established up? when Finn and Ray are gonna like vent gas into the Falcon because they think stormtroopers are coming in? Oh yeah, um, and you know a, a viral particle is smaller than a. They they wear like a they wear like a black kind of you know, sort of skin-tight suit that only goes up to about here mm. and then the helmet goes on. And it makes but it is it little I mean, speakers? It'd be better than walking around with nothing on, but they are they are breathing the atmosphere of mm. where they are. They don't have an oxygen supply. It's not a sealed suit. Can I interrupt yeah, with, with a listener you question? You would get something that I knew about yeah. at some point. Can oh, I interrupt with a listener question? Like, so we, we've got a must. couple. Uh, I think we've got, got a listener question. Uh, this, Dan. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Seamless, yeah. Um, yep. So uh, this is from at... On the is fantasy. it about stormtroopers? It's not about stormtroopers, but it's kind of related to what we're talking about. Um, he has <laughs> said, uh, related to movies, do you find it weird watching films how now where everyone isn't socially distancing? Uh, yeah, and will we see COVID precautions in films to normalise it? And so, no, then, then he says, it's, it's, he says it's thanks, scientists. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. In, like, yeah. Street and that. The soaps but, are doing um, it, aren't they? Mm. The soaps are all filming it. So I would have thought films necessary because it's just, it's just not very interesting. Um, no, how- unless unless you make it the reason to make mm. the film, like um, the the uh, David Tennant one you were talking about, Duncan, for example, the TV. Oh, series. We, we watched that. I mean, that was yeah. magnificent. Yeah, yeah. Um, was it called? You know, David Tennant, Michael Sheen. Mm. Was it oh, called? not a film. Um, yeah, a TV series. TV series. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, I've gone blank. It's got like a yeah. one-word title, hasn't mm. it? Yeah. I can't think. It's really good. Oh, was it it's amazing. Note? Yeah, <laughs> it was hilarious. It was uh, the, one of the what, best. What things. was also really weird is is how much like a film some of real life looks at mm. the moment. Like we, we we had to go and get tested, which meant driving to a desolate, sealed off airport par- car park with army vans and tents everywhere and like plastic screens and things. And it mm. was very twenty eight days later. I it went was really really strange. I went to uh, Watford Hospital and it was like that, but like it wasn't open, so it was even more like that. So like it was closed and it was this big empty car park with the the, the big like uh, tents and stuff. But, yeah, I had well, a tooth. I had a tooth extracted during lockdown, which was one of the weirder experiences. When it, you know, because I I was told to wait outside in the car park. I was they the tied a bit person, string to it. I was yeah. I was the only person <laughs> allowed into the entire surgery. I basically was was sort of put in front of a Perspex box, asked to remove any personal items that I wanted them to look after while I was undergoing the extraction. Hmm. And I mean, I I was in and out in about 15 to uh, 10 to 15 hmm. minutes. There were no errors and graces during this. They literally wanted me in and out as hmm. fast as possible. It was the fastest and, and they obviously dosed me up with a buttload of drugs because they didn't want me to be in there for very long. They were like, just keep injecting him until he literally can't feel his brain thinking. Uh, and now we'll just pop that bad boy out. It was it was very strange, very very quiet, and no one wanted to talk either. I was like, oh, so how are you guys coping? They're like, that's probably because you were just going, oh, and they couldn't understand you. No, they could they could understand every word I enunciate perfectly. Even I choose my words very carefully. My <laughs> um, 
answering the question yeah. is it weird it's more it's not weird for watching like films and tv series necessarily mm. it's more weird watching aspects when you accidentally stumble across reality tv mm. or like something like bargain hunt yes and stuff and that's Just when it's people really weird like, yeah. Yeah, yeah because um that's that's when it's more weird rather than uh films though a lot of this has well, felt they're, like they're showing film. all the the Glastonbury highlights and things. Mm. Just, yeah, just, mm. your skin crawl. The idea of being in that right. bigger crowd. Yeah. yeah. So speak, speaking of people that get in other people's personal space, David Dickinson's not going to have any work ever again, <laughs> is he? Because he usually yeah. gets right to right people. What have you got there? You know, Tom, it's like proper. I've, I've got a horrible feeling he definitely won't be getting in anyone's space. He's well, dead. He's dead. He's dead, isn't he? No. Oh, I, I got that one wrong. I got that one wrong. Ignore Let's me. Check the I'm, internet. I'm not. I'm not a source of information. <laughs> um, so I had to take a job as a pizza delivery driver, and during peak lockdown, driving around AI. David Dickinson actually... is not dead. Whoops. Sorry. <laughs> News for everyone. We'll start doing a David Dickinson <laughs> check. What take home message on this podcast? David Dickinson oh, is not dead. There is none. <laughs> there is no take home. <laughs> Um, yeah, driving around, it was really kind of 28 mm. days later. It was that real yeah, post-apocalyptic. I, I miss that when the, when the roads are really empty. Yeah, it was yeah, great. So <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> um, it was so quiet. I mm. mean, that was the thing. It, I mean, even here, like, you couldn't hear. We got the AA14 not far mm. from us, and now it's noisy again at night. But and there were barely any aircraft either. I mean, there's definitely yeah. few in I said one of my favourite experiences of, of lockdown was uh, we did a shoot uh, down in uh, central London, actually, well, sort of north-south London, over the river, if you know what I mean. Uh, and This I, wasn't for your only fans, was it? No. <laughs> this was a work. <laughs> it was work, damn it. Oh, the other work, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Work. Yeah, it was work. <laughs> um, and we, my, my, myself and one of my other colleagues, drove uh, two commercial vehicles down in through central London. Now, I mean, it's the kind of journey that in any other situation, no one would ever want to make. Mm. But it was one of the most effort free, fantastic drives through central London I've ever had. And of course, because the SatNav's most direct route is actually past all of the things that you would love to be able to drive past, mm. like Buckingham Palace uh, and Marble Arch and all these beautiful things that you usually avoid. We were just, you know, effortlessly coasting past these wonderful landmarks in London, going down into the tunnels and over the bridges. And it was just phenomenal. It was, it was a wonderful thing to be able to do. Um, so I will miss that when everything eventually chokes up again. It already has. Like my, my journey to work used to be like 45 minutes and now my journey to work is closer to like an hour and five and then eventually it'll become like an hour and 15 and then eventually mm. it'll become an hour and a half. Yeah. Mm. I, I, we've got another question, by the way, if anyone's interested. Oh, I've just okay. been told we have another question. We uh, Dan, uh, we're, we're probably better wrap it up okay. after yeah, yeah. that. So this is, this is um, from regular listener Nicola. She says she works in a primary school and wondering how dangerous it actually is for all the kids to be back in school since there isn't room to socially distance properly and masks aren't required. Well, just children just cannot yeah. socially distance. Yeah. No, they I mean, can't. That, that might we, be a question that is out of the scope of our ability to answer. Mm. In a definitive we kind way. of did look into this. Mm. Um, it is kind of complicated and... It's not that younger children aren't susceptible. They are, but they don't necessarily carry the viral loads to necessarily be key transmission 
that they're not necessarily the best at transmitting it. There isn't enough evidence mm. to suggest that they don't, but, and this is what everyone's been really careful of, but under 10s especially are kind of, they might be. I mean, this is, it's really not clear, but. Well, it's notoriously we difficult to conduct experiments on children with deadly viruses. <laughs> it does tend to. Fail I have a paper. I have a paper right in front of me right now, which is from a pretty respectable journal, actually, hmm. um, where they took swabs from the nose of kids um, who had had COVID, and actually looked to see what the kind of viral load was, and they figured out that actually kids under 10 don't have the same density of the receptors the virus binds to as kids over 10, which means that they're never going to have the same amount of virus in their nose that older kids would have. So it means they're less likely to pass it on to somebody else. And also it means they're less likely to be seriously ill with the virus. Less likely, but not definitely won't. Yeah, no, it means they will still be infected with it. It might just mean that kids under 10 are more likely to be symptomatic or mildly suffer from it. It doesn't mean they're any less likely you know, not to get it in the mm. first place. It's just that they're less likely to have a large number of viruses. Mm. Like yeah. the, the, the key thing, what was really interesting is that actually children, especially children under 10 but ch under 18 are really underrepresented in terms of illness it's it's mm -hmm. one of the clearest things like across a lot of populations um you know in iceland they iceland did okay so it's not necessarily the most represented but it's in, in terms of model because it's such a closed pop population you, you do get quite an interesting picture that actually no under 10s when they just did a survey and they managed to like survey six percent of the population no no under 10s in the wider population showed up with being positive for covid mm. so that was obviously the pcr the genetics not the anti necessarily the antibody stuff so you know we're not experts i'm not going to say they're not going to get it and none of us would say that but it kind there is some indication that they will get it but they might not spread it the other thing I guess you've got to think about is not just like the thing itself, but the system around it. Mm. That's that's often a thing to think about. So what? how does the behaviour of adults change when they're dropping children off? Are they, mm. Is there a danger of them getting close to each other at a higher frequency? Yeah, this is this is one of the big problems. A, a school yeah. is not just a sealed box of children in it. It also oh. has a whole system of yeah. staff and those staff have families and other contacts. And it's, I think the point, I think the major point is that actually pubs are worse. Mm. They've yeah. opened something already, which is far worse mm. than open schools. The, the, yeah, that's the key thing. The people most at risk are more likely to be attending a pub rather than see, like, okay, so you can see your grandchildren mm. and the children could pass it on to the grandparents. That is a risk. But the bigger risk is adults mingling under a roof. Yeah. And they will have a higher viral load. And viral load is really key to determining how severe something mm. is so i know we've gone on and we do need to wrap up but like yeah are i mean that that, that is true about pubs being worse but on the other hand since march boris johnson has been utterly desperate to go on telly and tell everyone they can go back to the pub so yeah. swings around i love that he well, just like people may drop their kids off at school and then go to the pub if yeah. it's possible um, yeah. we don't know 
once you free <laughs> once you free people from childcare, you don't know what you don't know what they're going to do. Um, mm. Even away from the, the school itself. Um, so we're laughing because we went out for dinner on Wednesday and had. <laughs> oh yeah, we are those parents. I think, um, but the, the, Boris Johnson's uh, occasional like I, I want to tell people everything's going back to normal. Like the people that are shielding, yeah, you can just go out now. That's fine. Really? That that's just that's that's fine then. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Get them out there. Mm. But yeah, children can't mm. under tens, especially won't ever socially distant. Like mm. you can't tell an eighteen-month-old to socially distant because they can't string a bloody sentence together. So, um... <laughs> well, I mean, they can, but <laughs> <laughs> blah blah blah. <laughs> car, car. <laughs> But it's the way, what, what's annoying me is the way that people are talking about opening schools is mm. like the biggest risk ever. Mm. It's like, no, you've already yeah. done things which are yeah. potentially even worse than opening mm. the schools. I think it's like, um, it's like gyms. Oh, you can yeah. now go and work out and build up a sweat and flick really? your sweaty hair around and potentially contaminate all mm. of the and dumbbells and the instruments and the machinery. And the yeah, but breathe really On the other hand with that, it will keep the fucking joggers off the pavements and trap them in a room <laughs> with other joggers, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, well, no, well, no it's, not, it's not just keeping joggers off the pavement. Um, I, I encountered a jogger running on the road, yeah. even though the pavement was completely clear. And I thought to myself... I think we're getting a bit comfortable. But this is this is their apocalypse, Tom, and we're, yeah. we're just taking part in it. Yeah, 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 definitely. It's yeah. Well, I've seen some weird stuff in St Albans. Anyway, I've seen someone on inline skates um, just going down the road, the hill of like Blue House Hill, like with just this line of traffic behind them. They're like, because he's going quite quickly, but at the same time, no one wants to try and overtake him because they don't want to kill him. Was he by the chance singing? Was he singing "Woe Body Form" at an annoyingly loud volume as well? No, I used to cycle down Hollywell Hill. No, this guy's on inline skates. Oh right! Oh man, I want to dust off my inline skates. Like (laughs) Uh, she backs it up by saying, uh, "I'm in Yorkshire. Guarantee the parents." uh, Yeah, anyway, yeah, cool. Anyway, (laughs) I mean, there is. One other thing about opening schools and childcare, if you really want to get the economy going again, kind of got to think about childcare because mm. you know, a significant proportion of that population kind of got children, mm. kind of got to yeah. keep them sane. We don't live in a country where childcare is particularly affordable or well supported mm. by the government, and a huge amount of it is done by mm. grandparents, which Obviously, if everything's fine, Although the I would... is perfectly happy just to let that situation tick on because it suits them. But it's now looking like something of a problem. There are, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a few members of my family who work in childcare, uh, specifically at nurseries, uh, who've been open through the entire outbreak, looking after the children of key workers. Mm. Um, so I don't know, potentially the government has a semi-trained collection of professionals who might be in a position to i don't know i don't know whether they're going to national they, they could nationalize these kind of operations and you know open them up to more people to open up the economy who knows i mean that's the point isn't it it's you just mm. don't know what what lengths and measures they might would you want to send your children to a school run by dominic cummings be like uh, a no. like a re-education camp wouldn't it I think that's actually a good point, though, Tom, because there have actually been a significant number of children 
who have still been in nurseries throughout this. Yeah, we're yeah. in schools. It's not like, and even schools, it's not like every single child has not been in an education setting. Yeah, that's like, right. So it's, that also kind of adds to the, the whole thing of, well, what's, what's wrong with going back to school, really? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I know we, we probably need to wrap up, but there is that one thing that always plagues my mind at the moment, which is the psychological impact of on children actually during a, a time like this. It's very, very strange, very weird. You know, for Vinny, my my little boy, my nephew might not necessarily be as as big a deal because he already he had six months of school and now he's you know had a bit of time off. Whereas for children who might be in their second or third year of school this represents a bigger impact on their mental health and i know that you know this is a this is a bigger bigger topic a bigger part oh, of be, it but it'll be huge and different mm. i mean like just look at the a levels nonsense i was about the to say that's the are about to come out. shiny it's be, example isn't it everyone, yeah. everyone who you could possibly call a child from mm. babies to 18 year olds this is going to have a colossal impact on it one way or another mm. Mm. i mean five um three and it's 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 had a huge impact on on him he's mm. struggled to understand it he's mm. not being able to see people he's he's missed people he's not been able to do things that he likes doing it's it's really difficult and that's going to be difficult in different ways for every every age group of mm. of child I mean, so what are they going to really. call them because we've had millennials we've had gen z so potentially gen c is on the Horizon. I saw a t-shirt that said gen algorithm. Yeah. If they're going to start labeling the generations, they shouldn't, they really shouldn't have started with X, should they? No. It doesn't, doesn't give you much room to go. Well, we know that anyone can see. Just like number plates. They'll just start another numbering system. With it. <laughs> I don't know what we're, we used to be millennials, but we're not anymore. Are we not? No, we are. We're millennials. We are still millennials. Yeah, no, 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 actually. Millennials when we people die. talk about millennials, they're not, they're not talking <laughs> about us. I, we were originally um, called millennials because we turned 18 in <coughs> 2000. Russ, we were there for the release of the WTK album, the Will Smith album, Willennium. So yeah. we're millennials. I uh, think you'll find when, actually. When, when people talk about millennials, they're talking about Gen Z. They're not talking yeah. about. They, yeah. yeah, but they are. They, they, I mean, if, they, if they're using the term millennials, they are technically. I'll, as a market, I'll, as a marketeer, we are technically we are millennials. I'll we're happily sneak, in, I'll happily sneak into Gen X though. Gen X was quite cool. No, they we we missed Gen X. Oh, no. well, we totally missed it. Yeah. My cousin's Gen X because he's nineteen seventy nine. But yeah, I've that's got, fine. I've got a very important question, and this might round it out. Um, okay, so We're you're saying have to chip off after this? You're saying fecal matter? We've had this discussion before. <laughs> um, you ca- cannot be transferred through fecal matter now. Right, you just need this sort of reassurance, Dan. Mm. Yeah, I'm just going to get my will- notebook. Yep. We're going to do this as a two-parter. Okay. I was reading a full review of everything about COVID. Yep. And though it is found in faecal matter, there is no case of faecal to oral transmission. However, I will hand it over to Emma to explain more. Sorry, Emma. But, no, it's not just, no, I'm not explaining more about faecal to oral transmission. I'm just saying that the, the reason it's detected in the faecal matter is because there are the same what they're calling ACE2 mm. uh, receptors, the virus binds to, you get them expressed in your digestive tract, which is why you get some of it in fecal mm. matter. However, um. it's very hard for the virus to get there physically rather than the lungs. The lungs are easy to get to. Yeah. So by the time it's actually got all the way through your digestive tract, um, 
yeah, it's the, the, the viral load is not big enough, Dan, so I wouldn't worry. Awesome. I think that's quite that's quite reassuring because it does mean that you know if you right. accidentally yeah. sit in a puddle of COVID nineteen, you know, <laughs> even if it soaks through your trousers, you're all right. You know, like oh, unless, unless you try oh, and drink it, oh. then you know. No, no I mean, no, I mean, oh, oh, it's COVID nineteen. You know, like don't don't <clears> smell, <throat> don't sit in it smell and it. then smell it because mm. no. Dan, mm. does that reassure you? Rimming, all good. Yep, you can continue <laughs> eating ass. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, on that note, uh, I think it's probably time for us to wrap this um, exciting episode down. I have to admit, uh, finding a lot of the stuff that you guys were talking about incredibly interesting. Um, you, like you said at the very beginning, this was all your opinions and stuff like that. But I think it's it's kind of it is obviously very clearly grounded in understanding way beyond the comprehension of, especially people like me and Dan. I think Russ. Russ held his own in that. I think, you know, there were, he asked some really good questions. I don't know whether he prepared them before, but he came across certainly as the more intelligent of the less intelligent people on this podcast. Just watch <laughs> enough movies to know this sort Just, of thing. <laughs> yeah. Dustin Hoffman, man. Best teacher ever. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm walking here. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, thanks very much for watching. If you're on YouTube, thank you for watching streamers. Thank you for your questions. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast as well, thank you very much for downloading or listening live on SoundCloud or whatever streaming platform you were on. If you want to interact with us on any of our social media feeds, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, all under the same handle at TMTOOH. Our sister pod, theatrical cut is still there. Uh, and you can hit them up on Facebook and Instagram if you want to at, at theatrical cut pod. Uh, I'm going to say, Thank you very much for the three people who joined us in different guises. Duncan, obviously, in his guise as Dr. Dunk. Uh, his wife, Emma, in the guise of Dr. B. Uh, Matt, in his guise as Dr. Matt. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye to Russ. Cheerio. I'm going to say goodbye to Dan. Still against it. I'm, I'm sticking with that. <laughs> We're so gonna say, yeah. Yeah, strong one. We're going to say goodbye to Emma. Bye. We're going to say goodbye to Matt. Bye. We're going to say goodbye to Dunk. That's 2020. <laughs> <laughs> and it's goodbye from me, Tom. And on that note, it's Cuban music. <laughs> <laughs>